Hi, this is Dale Buchanan, the host of Puppy Talk Podcast. Before we get started today, I wanted to let you know of my new book, The Complete Puppy Training Manual. It's available on Amazon in four formats Kindle ebook, paperback, hardcover, and audiobook. You can find it on Amazon right now. It's called The Complete Puppy Training Manual, and I will put a link in the show notes of this episode. I'm Dale Buchanan, and this is Puppy Talk, the podcast that offers advice on how to raise a healthy, happy, and obedient puppy. This podcast is sponsored by Top Gun Dog Training. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast now so you don't miss a single episode of Puppy Talk. Hi, welcome to episode number 18 of Puppy Talk. Today, I've got a very exciting episode with Laura Donaldson. She is a PhD, certified dog behavior consultant, and a Karen Pryor Academy certified dog partner. She is also the owner of Four Paws, Four Directions Dog Training and Behavior Consulting, LLC. Her website is fourpawsfourdirections.com. Now, this podcast is going to focus on the importance of relaxation for puppies and also adult dogs. The topics covered today will include mat training for puppies, calming enrichment activities, and the cognitive as well as emotional underpinnings of the relaxation response that we want to teach our puppies. I saw Laura do a post on Facebook because we've been Facebook friends for a while, and I was intrigued by this post, and the post said, 10 ways to help your dog learn to really relax on a mat. And I said, hey, you want to be on my podcast and talk about this? And she said, sure. And we had known each other through the Aggression in Dogs Master Course that Mike Shikashio did. And we are in that Facebook group. And we had chatted through Facebook message a few times. But it's exciting to get to know Laura and to talk about these tips Because I know a lot of people, including myself, I go to clients' homes and I went to two homes today that have puppies and their dogs can't relax and I have to help them get their dogs to relax. And that's one of the things that owners want their puppies to do. So welcome, Laura. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. We are going to have a good time and we're going to talk about some very important things. I know that puppies get very overexcited and overstimulated easily. So first thing I want to ask you is, What exactly is mat training? Well, this is not your grandmother's mat training. (laughs) Uh, That's the first thing to say, because this is not an obedience behavior. A lot of people know about a go place obedience behavior where you send the dog to a designated place and by God, they better stay there. No, this is very different. For one thing, whether it's a puppy or an adult dog, I first developed mat training as a default behavior. We don't put a cue to it, not at first. We want the dog to bond with the mat, so to speak, and we reinforce that with food rewards, and we provide a really cushy mat. So it's a comfortable place because we want the dog to adopt this 
space of the mat as a default space of safety and security. This is is like a virtual space of calming. And we want the dog voluntarily or the puppy voluntarily to go to the mat. Later on, we can put a cue to it and then use it for stationing. That is, if you send a dog to the mat, their job is to go to the mat, be calm, stay on the mat until you release them. But it's this relaxation, default space of self-calming. That is what distinguishes mat training from go place. And the thing about a mat is you can take it anywhere. You, you can roll it up. You can take it. And, and I use mats inside, outside. I take them on walks with dogs. I, of course, I take them to training class, family visits. Anywhere the dog goes, their mat, the self-calming space can go with them. And this is very important for puppies to learn, right? Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> Here's the thing, like you, I'm sure, Dale, because all, all of us who are dog training professionals get these calls very frequently, especially since the pandemic, from desperate puppy owners, right? The desperate puppy owner. My puppy is biting and mouthing me. You know, my puppy is just a maniac. He's out of control. What am I going to do? Well, I think a lot of people focus on, of course, house training and the biting mouthing, but actually the antidote, one of the powerful antidotes to puppy biting and mouthing is teaching the puppy a relaxation response. And that would include mat training. That would include some other calming activities. It would include maybe teaching the puppy to take deep breaths. And it would definitely entail teaching the puppy default calmness. I like that. I like that default calmness. And I like that you said earlier without a cue. Yes. And we, we as dog trainers know that when we're teaching a new dog, a dog a new behavior, We don't want to add the cue in early on because they don't even understand the behavior yet. We want to add the cue in after they have a solid foundation of that behavior, and then we can add a cue. So that's very, very important. I love how you said that. I know that for me, like we talked pre-interview, I get so many calls from owners (laughs) that have hyper puppies. I mean, especially at night, they just don't know what to do. And what they're doing wrong, which I indicate that they're doing wrong, is they're overstimulating the puppies more by talking to them too much. And like you said in one of your 10 steps, which we're going to get to in a minute, don't use a clicker at this stage. Mm -hmm. Don't add a cue. You're just getting the dog to stop and slow down a little bit and learn the importance of that and reward that behavior. But the owners sometimes are doing more damage by overstimulating the puppy when they want to get the puppy to calm down by doing things improperly. So we're going to go through your 10 steps and start with going through one through 10 of how you do it, how you recommend doing it, because these tips are absolutely invaluable. So let's start with tip number one. 
you have tip number one here. And it's, so you want to go through that? Yeah, sure. So tip number one is you've done the mat training, your puppy loves his mat, and now you're working on increasing duration. You want to encourage your puppy to use the mat appropriately as a self-calming space. So step number one is I don't use a clicker and I don't even use what I call an excitatory marker. That is the, yes, good puppy. <laughs> I hear that a lot. Yeah, because, you know, of course your puppy's going to say, oh, wait, my human loves me. Yes. No, we want we want to use what I call a calming marker. If you use anything, and mine is nice, said almost subliminally. It's like nice with five eyes. Nice. So it signals to the puppy, this is a situation that calls for calm, not hyper arousal. Amazing. That's one thing right there that would solve a lot of the hyperness of puppies right there, just that one thing, but it also works for humans too. <laughs> it works for us, yes. And we humans can get really stressed out by our puppies, no doubt about it. And then it's a cycle that the puppy gets hyper, the owner gets stressed out and frustrated. The puppy can see and feel that they get more stressed out and frustrated, and it's a vicious cycle. So the owner has to start with calming themselves, which is the last tip you have on here. And we'll get to that later, of course. But everybody has to participate in being calm, the whole household. I went and worked with a Wanneromer this morning, five and a half months old. They've got grandmother, grandfather, husband, wife, four kids, and friends that visit. And I said, well, everybody has to be part of this. We're going to get your dog on the mat, and we're going to have it lay down and just do nothing, and say nothing, just like you said. And it worked. But I said, the whole family has to take part in this. So how do you get the whole family to participate? That's why we all need degrees in social work, as well as dog training. <laughs> I try to enlist people to be participants, but you've got to have one or two people who are the primary, going to do the primary training for the dog. And then you can get the kids involved as appropriate if they're old enough. If they're young kids, they're probably not going to be able to do the calming marker. And you might just want to say, because the bottom line rule of mat training as I do it is when the dog is on their mat, no one and nothing can mess with them except the person doing the training. That is like the dog's sacred space of self-calming. So no other dogs can come over and say, oh, that looks comfy. Uh, no kids want to interact with the dog. Uh, it's, it really is the dog's dedicated, calming space. And the next step is that the dog has to be completely still in order to get rewarded. And you're saying not even a wagging tail. Yes. And this is actually a great game to play with puppies, right? Because most puppies are perpetual motion. They don't know how to be still. There are different versions of this. I've heard it called the reward nothing game. 
the Be Still game is a Control Unleash game. But the basic idea of it is pretty general when your puppy is on their mat, and you can do this with adult dogs too, we often have to teach them how to be relaxed. This is kind of a version of an old saying that actually does have some truth in it. If you smile, you will be happy. (laughs) I don't know if that's true for us humans, but the way it translates to the be still game is If you can get the dog to simulate the physical postures of relaxation, they are much more likely to be calm and stay calm. Right. So uh, with a puppy, you wouldn't want to do this for 15 minutes. No. But for short periods, rewarding the puppy for just being still. It's like a Zen state. And actually, the tail is an important part of that. I don't want a puppy to be wagging their tail because a lot of dogs will use that as a way to offer a behavior or engage with you. So I really want a moment, even if that's all it is, of absolute stillness. I'll reward that and then we'll go on to do something else. And this is complete opposite of what people think that they're supposed to do with the puppy when they get a puppy, constantly play with it, constantly stimulate it, constantly get it to run around, chase a ball, feed it for doing something for a sit or down. But what you're advocating here, which I think is very important, maybe the most important thing when getting a puppy, is the relaxation and being still. And what about the treat? How does the treat come into it? Because your next step here, you have the treat on the mat. Explain that a little bit. Well, that's how I condition the map as a uh, really desirable space for the puppy and a desirable space of self-calming. One thing is I use medium value treats because if you use really high value treats, your dog or puppy is going to get way too excited about the food. And then you want to feed the mat, not the puppy. Why do we feed the mat, not the puppy? Because we want to condition that space of fabric. (laughs) I actually use a bath mat, uh, which has got good non-skid backing. That's important. But I use a mat, and I want the puppy to develop positive emotional associations with this piece of fabric. So I'm not going to feed from my hand. I don't want the puppy to, we've already developed our relationship. There are other places where I can feed the puppy. Right now, for mat training, it's important to feed the mat so the puppy will start thinking of the mat as like a treat bowl. Absolutely. And what's a medium value reward? Give me a couple of examples there. I don't use, and I'll just be honest, I don't use commercial treats. I use a dog's daily food ration or a puppy's daily food ration. I use a puppy's daily kibble. So I'm putting like two or three or four pieces of kibble on the mat. And that works really well. It's nutritionally sustainable. You know, it give, it's giving your puppy all the nutrients they need 
And they're puppies. They love kibble. You know, adult dogs may be pickier. Right. But puppies love kibble. Right. <laughs> Use it while you can. <laughs> That's good. That's true. And another thing that I told my client this morning with the Ronoromer, they said they're feeding this dog five cups of food, two cups in the morning, one cup during the day, two cups in the evening. My suggestion was take that cup during the day, use it as reward for the training and keep teaching the dog these behaviors that you want. Reinforce the behaviors that you want. Stop reinforcing the behaviors that you don't want, such as jumping. The dog is a big jumper. Get the dog on the mat. Like you said, feed the mat. I told her exactly that. In fact, I showed her your list. And she said, well, I could She said, I can't wait to hear this episode because I showed her your list directly from Facebook. I really like that tip a lot. And it's hard for some people to do. They always think that the puppy should be focused on them, but we're getting the puppy to associate a positive association with that mat. And that's that's where we're going with that. Now, the next thing you talk about is licky mats. What are those and how do those fit in? I should buy stock in the Licky Mat Company. (laughs) I love Licky Mats or whatever version, you know, there are now several different versions. I use the one where you spread, it's a silicone square with little nodules that come up off the floor of the square. And what you do is you spread stuff down in the bottom. Very high tech. You just get your spatula and spread it on the bottom. My 85 pound golden retriever takes 45 minutes to lick every bit of baby food, because that's one thing I often use in a licking mat, baby food, out of the bottom of it, during which time he's not getting into trouble. Right. He's not getting into trouble. And I am a huge advocate of calm, repetitive licking as a behavior change strategy. It has arousal lowering properties. Every puppy owner should have a licking mat or the equivalent. I agree. I do recommend these to clients and they think it's such a simple piece of equipment or piece of rubber, plastic, whatever it's made out of. How can this be so effective? So exactly how does it work? Because they're using their tongue and the tongue, I've seen the licky mats and it says this is a calming licky mat. How does that actually work with the tongue on the grooves of the mat? First of all, licking, and many puppy owners have puppies who use licking extensively, (laughs) right? They're licking them all the time. They're licking their clothes. They're licking their face. They're licking their hands. This is the more appropriate form of licking. You can redirect your puppy's licking to a licking mat. And one thing about licking is it is an innate behavior that dogs themselves use to elevate their mood level. You will see a dog begin to lick their foreleg, for example, or lick their paw, and that's often a stress-relieving behavior. We know this. And actually, if you have a dog that does this habitually, it can cause damage, acrylic dermatitis, from licking the foreleg. And that's usually both, it can be an allergic reaction, but it is often a stress displacement behavior. 
Right. Similar to a shake off or a tongue flick yeah. or something like that. A calming yeah. signal, calming behavior. Right. I get that. And we also know that lick, calm, repetitive licking releases endorphins in the dog's body. That's why they do it. That's why they will lick their forelegs almost compulsively. We want to redirect it more constructively, but that release of endorphins is a part of the calming property of licking because endorphins are a pain-reducing hormone. In huge amounts, they make one euphoric. If a human got a huge dose, they would make us euphoric. But licking only releases enough to reduce pain, relieve stress. Licking, calm, repetitive licking is a feel-good sensation for the dog, both behaviorally and neurochemically. So these licky mats are important for puppies then. This is really, really essential. I think so. Every puppy I've ever worked with, I've given licky mats. You know, a licking mat too. And I myself have half a dozen ready to go at any moment. I That's why you know, on Amazon, they're always sold out. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they're popular now. But yes, I think any puppy owner, put the puppy on the mat, give them a licking mat. This is also, and I'll just give this free tip. The licking mat is a great way to deter kind of the vampire syndrome of puppies, puppy biting and mouthing. So instead of biting me, I'm going to sit there and hold a licking mat for my puppy to lick while I'm stroking him calmly down the back. That gets me to my next one of your tips, which is massaging your dog. Yes. And massage means intentional. With puppies, it has to be gentle. And probably there are not many puppies that are going to sit there for a half an hour while you, while you stroke them. But for short periods, yes, this can be a part of any anti-biting and mouthing program. For example, long, soft strokes down the back. That is a very gentle form of massage is much better than handling your puppy around the head. As Dale mentioned earlier, many people overhandle their puppy. They've always got their hands on the pup. And of course, who wouldn't want to? They're so cute. <laughs> They're right. so cute. They're so cuddly. But actually, it does overstimulate them. And hands around the face is one of the most common scenarios for eliciting biting and mouthing. Right. And you said earlier, you, you work a lot with dog aggression. And this is not anywhere near dog aggression. But if things aren't done well at this point, there could be somebody that says, oh, my dog has aggressive behavior or they, have, they bit us and it broke yeah. skin or things like that. And uh, as Mike Shikashio said, it doesn't matter if we label it dog aggression or not. It's behavior we don't want. As a kind of spillover from puppies to adult dogs, I do work with a huge number of aggression cases. About 95% of my caseload is 
dogs struggling with aggression of one form or another. And the first thing I do with those dogs, first thing is teach them some relaxation techniques. I'm doing mat training. I'm doing teaching them to take deep breaths because until they can learn to relax, they're really not going to be able to change their behavior. Now, the next thing is, what is the Tellington T-Touch Ear Slides? I don't even know what that is. So you, you're teaching me something here. Well, I, uh, so I love Tellington T-Touch. I incorporate a fair amount of it into my programs for aggressive and reactive dogs. I think it's a fabulous thing to incorporate for puppies, especially puppies that tend to be hyper-aroused and crepuscular. And that is, my puppy is fine all day until we hit like 6 p.m. And then he become, he's like bi bipolar. He becomes a maniac. He's just crazy. I can't control him. So incorporating, so the answer to that is not to take your puppy out for a five-mile hike or go out in the backyard and play fetch with the pup because that actually is only going to raise their arousal levels, not lower it. We really? know that, yes. That's, it, that's good to know because a lot of people think that way. If my puppy is overexcited and overstimulated and hyper from 6 to 9 p.m., I need to take them for a long walk or I need to take them out back and play fetch. That's what everybody thinks. So that's great. No. That that's not the thing to do. No, we we know, and there's data, you know, to prove it, that actually extreme forms of exercise over exercise raises arousal levels. It can cause physical exhaustion, but what you haven't done is taught the puppy to regulate their arousal levels and be, you know, be able to turn on the dimmer switch. <laughs> right, right. We, we want a puppy who can calm when it's appropriate. There are sometimes we do want to take our puppies out and play fetch, but that is not the answer in the evening when your puppy is going wild and you think they're uncontrollable then you want to give them some calming mental stimulation, put them on their mat, give them interactive food toys, do stuff like T-Touch ear slides. I use this in my control and leash classes because it's very easy to do, even if someone has not studied Tellington T-Touch. Anyone, anyone can do this. And although some dogs have handling issues, some puppies don't like their ears handled. Most puppies and most dogs really kind of bliss out <laughs> when you are doing this. You, it's a long, gentle stroke, very methodical with the thumb. You are supporting the ear as you're stroking and you methodically move across the ear, and then you go to the other ear. T-touch is not massage. It's a, it's a much more gentle 
movement, kind of muscle movement across the dog's ear. I had a border collie. Uh, all I had to do was one stroke of this, and she would just be totally chill. For a border collie? Wow. Yeah. A working border, high drive, working border collie who sees sheep every day. That's a great testimonial for this, for the T-Touch ear slides. It sounds fantastic. Talking about all this is actually relaxing me. So (laughs) (laughs) this is great. Don't go to sleep, Dale. I'm not trying not to. (laughs) No, I'm trying not to. I'm almost in meditation here. And then we get into the stuffed Kongs. Yes. So I like the licking mat. I actually use stuffed frozen Kongs. Not not just stuffed Kongs, but stuffed frozen Kongs. And I mean fully stuffed frozen Kongs as a major arousal, lowering, mentally stimulating, but calming activity. Because once again, this elicits the calm, repetitive licking. And my experience is most people are woefully underusing Kongs. About the most they do is put a little peanut butter around the opening. I do so much more than that. I feed dogs whole meals in their Kongs. You can soak the kibble and chicken or beef broth. Then I mix it with baby food put it in the freezer overnight, and I actually divide up a dog's meal into into five or six Kongs. That way you can give them a Kong if you want them to be calm during the day, or you've got stuff to do. Put your puppy on the mat, give them a Kong. You've got 20 minutes of uninterrupted time. So I have clients that sometimes say, I tried the Kong and my dog didn't like the Kong. Is it just what they have in it? Well, here's why. Because most people only use one thing, and that's peanut butter. How would you feel if you had to eat the same thing for dinner every night? You would be bored out of your mind. Right. So I incorporate ways to change up the taste. That's one reason I use baby food. I mix baby food with kibble. I I mix baby food, I puree baby food and veggies and stuff a Kong with that. You can find easy ways to diversify what you are giving your puppy or your dog. But if all you're doing is squirting a little peanut butter in there, then yeah, after a couple times, the the dog is going to be bored. So the baby food, what do you usually use? There's so much different baby food. There's fruit, oh. vegetables, there's there's meat. So what do you usually use in there? I love talking about baby food. <laughs> <laughs> I love talking about it. I used to use meat flavor, but that was too boring. So now I buy organic baby food in a jar. So this is very easy. You are not having to make this up from scratch. (laughs) You can just spoon it out of the jar and mix it with the kibble or other things. And the two flavors that clients' dogs and my own dogs just love, one is called Just Sweet Potatoes. Just Sweet Potatoes. It's got all those antioxidants, 
It's got a Swedish flavor and dogs love sweet. They have taste receptors for sweet. You could also use pumpkin, organic pumpkin, no spices, no preservatives. But the other one that I think is everyone's favorite is a combo. It is banana, mango, sweet potato combo. Wow. All in one jar. They love it. And Sounds it, great. Well, it's a way to change up. Kibble tastes the same every day, right? So if we're going to use it in a Kong and we want to really inspire the dog to use this calm, repetitive licking, and especially a puppy, because the stuffed frozen Kong, great for teething puppies, the frozen part of it, and it is an alternative to biting and mouthing. Which nobody wants. We already talked about that. Nobody wants. Nobody yeah. wants that. Yeah. Awesome. Now, how does the next step of this play in where people have to be calm on the mat or by the mat with the dog to initiate that the dog can mimic their behavior and also become calm? So how important is that? Well, it can be really important, especially for a puppy. I did a whole article on how dogs use social referencing. This is one of their really unique cognitive abilities, and puppies use this too. Social referencing means they, are, they take their cues from a, a, usually a, a human, or it can be another dog, in terms of how to interpret some other object that they haven't seen, an unknown object. Social mimicry, which is what you just described, that is, I see someone doing something, then I'm going to imitate it, is a part of that kind of cognitive cluster of abilities. Social mimicry means if I am standing by the map and my puppy is down, my puppy's lying down on the mat, and usually your puppy will be looking up at you, and I just start taking really exaggerated, deep breaths, a lot of times your puppy will imitate you. I see my human breathing. I'm going to take a deep breath, too. We know that dogs use social mimicry. In fact, there's a whole school of do-as-I-do dog training based on exactly this cognitive ability. A lot of times dogs are using mimicry with other dogs and learning things we don't want them to learn, like barking at the door or separation anxiety. But, but this is a case where it can work in our favor. They're learning to be calm and deep breathe. Dogs learn this from other dogs too. Yes. Because I brought Dixie, my one-year-old mini Australian shepherd, to some clients' training sessions with me, particularly one that lives in my neighborhood that's a leash reactive dog. It's a cattle dog and it's been leash reactive uh, and hasn't bitten anybody. It's not aggressive. It's just, it wants to go after everything while it's being walked. So I brought Dixie, who's very calm, with a walk with him 
And Dixie would lay down, he would lay down. Dixie would move slowly, he would move slowly. Dixie would stop, he would stop. And she's younger than him, but she was mentoring him to teach him how to behave on a walk. And it worked great. Yes. And that's exactly what social mimicry, it's taking social cues from a trusted informant, whether that's another dog or a human. What about the Ferome dispenser? I know I use aromatherapy for my clients and my dogs a lot, but what is the Ferome thing? That is the Adaptil. Uh, Adaptil is the brand name. It's, it's using maternal pheromones to create kind of an atmosphere, literally an atmosphere of calmness. You can get dispensers that you plug into a wall outlet and it's a diffuser. It has a gentle spray of these maternal pheromones. And especially with puppies, young puppies, when you first bring them to your house, because that is often a pretty traumatic transition. Using a pheromone dispenser is often quite useful and very, very helpful in lessening the trauma that a lot of puppies experience when they are quite suddenly taken from the litter where they've never spent a moment alone. And now I'm all by myself in this new house and I don't know anybody. That's going to be another episode because we're going to do this again sometime in the future. <laughs> and that, I'm not kidding because this is so good. We're so good. This is such, going so well that that episode is going to be how to bring your puppy home for the first time. Because yes. that is, a, it, what's one whole episode right there. And yeah. I want to do that. Eventually, I want to do that. So that's on the radar for down the road. Let me paint a picture for people of what Laura is saying here. You get the Mat, you do mat training. You don't use a marker. You don't use a cue. You get the puppy to go or dog, go and just calm on the mat. You have them be still. When they're still, they get a reward that's coming from the mat. The food reward goes onto the mat. So they associate that the mat is a good thing. We have to stay calm in this situation and relaxed. And we have to give them cues from our own body language and our own energy. That, we, that we're being calm, we want them to be calm. We give them a licky mat or we give them a frozen Kong on the mat. We are gently stroking them, massaging them, doing T-touch ear slides. And then we have a better chance for a period of time anyway to teach the puppy how to be calmer. Is that correct? Yes. If people even did half of that, I think they would find their experience with their puppy much less stressful, and you would be creating what I call lifelong emotional and cognitive habits of relaxation in your puppy. This is one guaranteed way to create a fabulous family member for life. That puppy is going to use those, not just the mat, but the emotional cognitive habits that they create from being on the mat and interacting with their humans on the mat, they're going to take that into adult life and I think really benefit from it. And I agree with you because I have studied meditation, holistic health, 
metaphysical practices, Tai Chi. I'm a Tai Chi instructor. And I have a very calm demeanor intrinsically. And all of my dogs have always been very calm. Even my mini Australian Shepherd, herding breed, who has a tendency to be hyper and high anxiety. She's always very calm around me, which brings me to the last point that you make, which is in capital letters. It's bold <laughs> capital letters. Be calm and relaxed yourself, and chances are your dog would be more relaxed. And this is so true because every time I go, to a client's house and I, they say, my dog's so great when you come in. They listen to you. They, I said, because I'm calm, I'm relaxed. Oh, I know, I need to work on that, they say. So you have any tips for people to be more calmed and relaxed around their dogs? Yes. <laughs> and it would be to cultivate what you might call a relaxation response in yourself. And that way you can work on it with your puppy or your adult dog. Because relaxation, I'm actually looking at a quote, relaxing, quote unquote, involves the cognitive and emotional as well as the physical. And here is one definition of relaxation that fits this. If you decide to be relaxed, chances are your puppy will be more relaxed too. And that is Relaxation is a coping skill that humans can learn and develop to the point that they can enact it when it is needed. And we want, that's exactly what we want our puppies to learn, what we want our adult dogs to learn. And people can use this with other people. No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody comes to you, they're all stressed out and anxiety, but we stay calm and relaxed and, and then we can rub that demeanor off into somebody else when they're having a bad moment and get them to calm down a little bit. I know I've used that with a lot of humans in my life. (laughs) Yes. And it's as much about decision-making as it is emotional calmness. So Laura, tell everybody how they can find you and what you've got coming up and where you live and what you do and all of that kind of stuff. So in case somebody wants to get in contact with you, they can work with you. You work remotely, right? Right now? Oh, that's all I'm doing is remote online virtual sessions full time. So yes, they can contact me through my website, fourpawsfourdirections.com. I have a contact page that automatically sends me an email. I would love to hear from people. I would love just to hear your stories because there's nothing I like to talk about more than relaxation and how important it is. Things I have coming up, I am working on a webinar with a another dog and horse professional named Mary Kay Hossman. Her specialty is mindfulness training, loving presence with animals, horses, and we're, we want to revamp people's relationship with, and with dogs, especially, and horses, but in a more general way. So we're working on a, a webinar, a course, uh, some independent projects that are really going to focus on how to radically change for the better your relationship 
with your dog. And I am also finishing a book on cognitive behavioral interventions for canine aggression. Keeps me busy. Very busy. Right. (laughs) What about the Aggression in Dogs Conference? Are you going to be part of that this year? I don't know. There's a whole different lineup of speakers than there was. I think uh, there may be one or two continuing. I think this relationship seminar is going to have an aggression in dogs component. I am going to work on something. I don't know if it'll be with the conference or through a third-party platform offering a close-up view of what the cognitive behavioral intervention might mean, not just for dogs struggling with aggression, but in dog training more generally, because we are moving beyond the Skinnerian operant box. It moves beyond behaviorism as the dominant paradigm. And that's a whole discussion that is happening now in dog training. And I want to make my own contribution to that. Well, I really have had an amazing time. You've been a great guest on the show. This was an awesome interview. And I've had a wonderful time talking to you about tips for relaxing puppies and everything else that we discussed. So I hope you had a great time as well. I did. Thank you for having me. And we will stay in touch. Again, if you need to find any information about our show, it's puppytalkpodcast.com. And Laura's website is fourpaws4directions.com. This is Dale Buchanan, host of Puppy Talk Podcast. I have an announcement of a new book that I just published called Potty Training Your Puppy. It's available on Amazon in Kindle and paperback soon to be available on audiobook. You can find out all the details of this book using the link in the show notes. It's called Potty Training Your Puppy. It's a comprehensive book with a simple and effective way to help potty train your puppy, and it really works. Check out the link in the show notes.